we are going to get into our message here in uh, just a little bit. We started actually a brand new series. So last weekend was a different weekend. One, the Saturday service was the end of the year and the Sunday service was the beginning of the year. So we preached a New Year's message and it's actually going to be a whole series. And a few weeks ago, uh, I was in prayer, just my morning devotion, and I was just talking to the Lord about the day and different things, and I said to him, oh yeah, and Lord, I want to take some extra time this week because I want to pray about the new year, the word for the new year. And I was just continuing on in my prayer, and just like that, he dropped two words for the new year. I was like, wow, that was easy. Thanks, Lord. And of course, I always, then I want to go in and study the word of the words he gave me and you know, ask what does it really mean? How does it fit for our people and Slave Lake? But anyhow, the two words that he dropped in is the basis for this series that we're going to do here in January. So, does anyone want to know what the two words are? So, the two words he dropped in were new births. New births. Now, this is a great word, and I just want to say right from the beginning, if you're, you know, past the age of having babies, or you're single, or this is not something as a family, you're like, new births for a whole month, he's going to talk about this? I have good news, we're not just talking about literal babies, okay? New births uh, mean new beginnings. We talked about this in our overview last week. You can actually check it out on the podcast if you want to uh, hear all about how that first message was. But, uh, so we talked about literal births, new beginnings, and then another thing that we're going to have a whole message on, when I went in looking for, you know, what does God say about new things, one of the words that connected a number of times with new was new songs or new worship. So uh, that's going to be an exciting one. And of course, our worship teams are actually in the process of uh, starting to write songs. So you'll be hearing new songs this year for sure. And uh, the other thing, of course, was new births in the idea of salvation, which, of course, God is going to do abundantly again this year. And uh, so we're excited about that. But today specifically, yes, we are going to talk about actual, literal new births, babies. All right? There's a few people like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> hey, doesn't everybody love babies? And even if you're done with babies, you love them when somebody else is looking after them, right? Like, we all love babies. Babies are amazing. So listen, literal new births. I want to start by reading us a story from Scripture about a new birth, and then we're going to see what we can learn from that story all by itself about new births. So the story I want to look at is the birth of Moses in Exodus chapter 2. Let's do a little reading. It says, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. 
This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So here is a story of baby Moses. A story of a new birth surrounded by a lot of chaos and a crazy world. But it was a new birth ordained by God and there was a plan. What can we learn from just this story? I'm going to give you a few points and we're going to look at what we can learn about new births. And once again, we're talking about literal births, but this expands beyond to the other types of births that God wants to do this year. The first point I want to make is this. God has plans for every new birth, and he wants his people to be fruitful and multiply. Okay? But God does. Let's look at a scripture. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Okay, this scripture is about Jeremiah, for Jeremiah, but I want you to see a truth about God and about babies. God has a plan for babies before they're even formed in the womb. God has a set-out plan, and it's a good plan. You see, no new birth is an accident. God already planned it. What am I saying? You cannot have an accidental birth because the giver of life must put life for there to be life. Scripture says in him we live and move and have our being. There's no life without him. There's no such thing as an accidental birth. I mean, you can say, well, it wasn't planned or it wasn't it. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as accidental birth, which means there's no person who's an accident. Did you know some people live with a feeling of, I'm an accident because they heard their parents say, well, we didn't plan this, it just happened. Nobody's an accident. Somebody planned it. Somebody planned your life. His name is Jesus, the giver of life, the creator of life. No new birth is an accident. As well, we see as... God's people that he has called us to be fruitful and multiply. See, having babies was his idea. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 35 and verse 9. Genesis 35 and verse 9, we read, this is about Jacob in this story. It says, now that Jacob had returned from Pater Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him saying, your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and to your descendants after you. Okay, 
Here's the thing. God wants to bless you, but he also wants to bless your descendants after you, which means there needs to be new births for there to be a blessing after. Now, we can look at this as a church picture as well. For God to continue to bless descendants after us, we're going to need kids' ministry. We're going to need youth ministry. We're going to have to not only focus on ourselves. There's a saying, the church is only one generation away from being extinct. Kind of a negative saying. But the point is, if we only look at us and our little bubble and what we want, the next generation will not continue. New births and raising up those babies in a church sense and in a literal sense is how the future generations get blessed. How does Slave Lake get blessed? Scripture says that the city is blessed because of the righteous. Did you know that? So if you're having babies and training them up to be righteous and serve God, they're going to bless the community when you're long gone. Blessing comes through new births. And God wants to bless the generations after you. So I see also from this story of baby Moses another point that is really important, and it's this. The devil wants to destroy God's plans for new births before they even start. You see, in this story of baby Moses, in Exodus chapter 1, which we didn't read, the Pharaoh is getting nervous of the Israelites because they're growing in number greatly. They were all slaves, but he's thinking to himself, they could take over, we need to do something about this. And he tells the midwives, the nurses of that day, whenever the women go to have a baby boy, kill the baby boy before it's born. Well, the midwives honor God and they say, we're not going to do it. We refuse. And they don't kill any baby boys. So Pharaoh comes back and says, how come all the baby boys are still alive and well? And the midwives say, well, Pharaoh... The Israelite women are strong and healthy. They're not like the Egyptian women. And they have their baby boys before we even show up. Now, were they lying? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they actually did just show up late every time it was a baby boy. Because the Israelite women were stronger and healthier. They were hard-working women. They were slaves. But needless to say, they didn't do it. So the Pharaoh comes up with a new plan. Fine then. I will tell all the people in Egypt, whenever you see a new baby boy, throw it in the river. I don't know about you, but just the thought of that blows me away. Can you imagine living in a day and age in a culture where everybody's okay with killing newborn babies? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe we don't have to go back to Egypt. Oh, pastor, are you going to go there? And I know you thought, nobody would take a live baby and throw it in the river. How long does it take to go from here to there? Not far. But the devil wanted babies destroyed because God has a plan for every new birth. A great plan if it's fulfilled. And Moses, of course, God wanted him to be the deliverer for all of the children of Israel. But you know, we can see in Scripture other places where the devil tried to kill the babies so that New births couldn't fulfill their destiny. And that, of course, happened in the story of Jesus. Baby Jesus is born, and there's a king named Herod. 
who has some wise men show up and tell him there's a new king born, and he's so jealous, he's like, oh, really? Tell me when you find him. I want to worship him too. He had no intent of worshiping. He wanted to kill him. The wise men realize this, and they don't go back, so what does he do? He says, fine then. Kill every baby in Bethlehem under two years of age and the surrounding area, just in case. Let me say it again. Can you imagine living in a time when that was okay to kill new babies? Yes, you can. But you see, an angel told Joseph and Mary, you need to leave because to protect the baby. But how many other babies died? And it says that Scripture was fulfilled because there was a prophecy that there would be great weeping in Bethlehem one day, Weeping for the children because they were gone. They were not. The devil is a liar, a thief, and he chooses to kill and destroy. And he is totally happy with destroying before a plan can ever happen with new births. All right, I have some good news, though. And this brings me to my next point, the better news. No matter... How rough, how crazy a new birth is. No matter how much the devil tries to fight or stop, the plan for new birth will be fulfilled when people choose to never give up. Another word for that is called faith. If you have faith for new birth, if you choose not to give up no matter what, you will see new birth fulfilled. You see, Moses' mother was a woman of faith, and she refused to give up or give in to what was happening around her. And she hid her baby for three months. By this time, baby is probably crawling around, and she's realizing he's loud, he's crawling, he could just crawl out in the street, and he'd be gone. She says, this isn't working, I've got to come up with a new plan. Can you imagine for three months trying to make a baby not cry every time someone walks by? But can you imagine? His life depends on it. I believe she prayed to come up with a plan. And her plan was, we're going to find a basket, we're going to put tar on it, a lid, and we're going to put it in the reeds. But they didn't just put it in the reeds at the river anywhere. And what a plan. Think about it. We're going to put him in the reeds at the river. Because even if he cries, nobody's going to notice because they're throwing babies in the river. But she doesn't place him just anywhere. She places him where she knows that the Pharaoh's daughter comes to get clean because God had a plan. And Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of the land, comes down and she sees a basket in the reeds and tells her servants, go get that basket for me. When they bring it and open it, there's a baby crying. It says she felt sorry for him or compassion for him. And instantly, his sister Miriam is right there at his side. The little girl looked like she was playing by the river, but no, she was part of God's plan. She's instantly beside the princess and says, oh, would you like me to find someone who can nurse your baby? And the princess says, yeah, please do. So she goes and gets the mom of the baby, but it's a good chance that the princess didn't know it was the mom because there was a bunch of moms without babies who could nurse. And she gives that baby to her and says, go ahead, nurse him, bring him back when he's weaned, and I want to pay you while you do it. 
Oh, the devil is such an idiot. <laughs> I tell you what, if you refuse to give up, if you refuse to press in, the Lord will take what the devil's trying to do, turn it around, and bless you abundantly. But you can't give up. What if Moses' mom had given up at any point? What if she said, it's too much? All the neighbors don't have babies anymore. What does it matter? It's too much. Never give up on your babies. Okay, that was a point. That was a statement for a reason. Babies grow. Never give up on your babies. I don't care how old they are. Maybe they're already adults and you're, they're your babies. Don't quit praying for them. Don't ever give up on your babies, church. Don't quit fighting for your babies because God has a plan and the enemy wants to shut it down. When you see someone struggling, I don't care if they're 5, 16, 25, 35, the enemy's trying to shut down a plan because God's plans need to be fulfilled. So don't give up. Refuse to give up. Move in faith. All right. I'm coming to my final point, which is a fairly big point. So like, don't get excited and think you can leave in five minutes. This is going to take some time. But it is kind of a large point for this. And it's one that we don't usually talk about. That's why I've gone into it a little more. But here it is. From this story of Moses, something else really cool happens in the story. And it is that a Moses is adopted. And I want to say today, adoption is also considered a new birth at any age. And it's a part of God's plan. Look at the story we just read. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. When he was weaned and brought to Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, for her, it was a new birth at that moment. She went from no kids to I now have a child, whatever age he was. It was a new birth for her, and it was most definitely God's plan. Sometimes when we think of adoption, we think, well, it must just be a way to patch up because, you know, it didn't work out. Or people just do adoptions because somebody didn't want them. Or, you know, just there was big problems. No, not at all. Adoption is God's plan. Moses' mother was a healthy mother. She was a mom of faith. But God had a plan for Moses that went beyond what she was going to be able to do. And God put Moses right in the Pharaoh's house. The grandson to the Pharaoh. He would be in the house. He would learn the language. He would learn the customs. He knew how the household ran. And God was training and setting him up to be the deliverer of all Israel. And when the day came for him to come back to that court and say, let my people go, the door was open to him because he was the princess's son. So church, adoption is also considered a new birth. And it is most definitely God's plan. But in case you're unsure, let me give you some more stories from Scripture about amazing people who were adopted. By the way, just before I leave Moses, maybe you're here today and you were adopted. And you feel like, oh, I was adopted, they didn't want me, I can't accomplish anything. Uh-uh. Moses was one of the greatest leaders of all time, and he wrote the first five books of this Bible. He is still affecting people today. And he was adopted. I just had to throw that out there. 
as well as people who have had a desire to adopt. Well, I'm going to adopt a baby, but they're going to have all these problems. Just forget it. That isn't true. You might be raising up the next greatest leader of all time. You don't know. You don't know. But I can tell you this. God has a great plan. And there are others. Samuel was adopted. Samuel's mom came to the temple one day and she began praying and crying out to God. Her heart was broken because she couldn't have babies. And the priest, obviously very unsensitive to the spirit and to people, thought she was drunk. And he kind of starts to rebuke her. Oh, why are you coming to the temple drunk? And she explains, no, this is why I came. Then he speaks a word from God and says, God's going to give you that baby. Well, she had also prayed and said, Lord, if you give me this baby, I'm going to give him back to you and bring him to the temple. So she nurses this baby, brings him back to the temple, and Eli, the guy who was kind of insensitive and had no clue, gets to adopt Samuel and train him up, a part of his family, along with his sons. Well, we know that Samuel becomes a great prophet. He also becomes a leader of all Israel. He's called a judge at that time. They didn't have kings yet. Samuel was adopted. And Samuel affected the then-known world. And yes, there's two books in the Bible written about him. You can check it out. Another person who was adopted is Esther. Esther was adopted by her uncle Mordecai. Esther... If you remember the story, she was raised by her uncle. We don't know if there was a a mom even in the picture. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But she ends up getting called to go to the king's palace and becomes the queen of the superpower of the then known world. And she is set up to deliver an entire nation of people from an evil right-hand man of the king. And if you know the story... The right-hand man makes a decree to kill all the Israelites, all the Jews. But Esther's a Jew and nobody knows. Mordecai comes to Esther and says, you need to go tell the king, you need to talk to him, or we're all going to be dead. And Esther says, okay, this is serious though, because if I go to the king and he doesn't hold out his golden scepter, they kill me. You can't just walk in to see the king. And Mordecai says, Esther... It's a good chance you were born for such a time as this. You see, Mordecai knew he had adopted that girl for greatness. The plan for her was unbelievable. And he told her at that moment, this is your moment. She says, okay, you guys fast and pray for three days. I'll do the same with my servant girls, and I'll go in. And she walks in to the king's court. And he holds out his golden scepter. He holds out his golden scepter and says, my queen, what is it that's troubling you? What do you want? I will give you whatever you want. She is obviously trying to build up some courage for the moment because she has to tell him, your right-hand man's trying to kill us all. And so he says, what do you want? Whatever you want. And she says, come to dinner, you and Haman. They come to dinner, they're having dinner, and the king says, okay, I know there's something on your mind because you risked your life to come into my court. What do you want? Anything you want. And she's still trying to get that courage, and she says, 
can you guys come for a second dinner? <laughs> and at the second dinner, she reveals the evil plan. The right-hand man is killed. And the king looks at her and says, we can't change decrees here. If a decree is made, it cannot be changed. And the decree that everybody can go and kill all the Jews on such and such a day, we can't change it. But we can make a new decree that overrules that one and allows your people to rise up and defend themselves. And if I make that decree, everybody's going to be scared to do anything. The people are saved because of Esther. And Esther was adopted. There's another person in Scripture that was adopted, and maybe we don't think of it too often, but that person's name was Jesus. You see, Joseph was not Jesus' birth father. We don't think about that, do we? He becomes his earthly father, but it was not his baby. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us he was about ready to put her away because he assumed she's been cheating on me and we're not even married yet. It's not my baby. And an angel tells him, hey, buddy, this is from heaven, this baby. I believe all babies are from heaven, by the way. This baby's from heaven, and you're going to be its daddy. Step up, Joseph. Adopt that baby. And Joseph did a great job. He did such a great job, as a matter of fact, that later when Jesus is in his hometown, it says the people didn't receive Jesus as a Messiah or prophet because they said, oh, that's Jesus. He's just the son of the carpenter. You see, adopting a baby is no different than being a literal birth father. You're a father, you love them, and they are yours. I know a little bit about that as we've adopted three amazing kids that God has amazing plans for. And none of them were accidents. Jesus was adopted. There's one more that I didn't put in my notes, but I want to share it again at this service. Because sometimes we see adoption only as at the baby stage. But adoptions can happen at all ages because people need to be in families. They need to be loved. They need to have a parent or parents that care about them greatly. And one of those we see in Scripture is a young lady named Ruth. And she is technically adopted by her mother-in-law, Naomi. You see, Naomi had two sons and a husband, and those two sons married two girls, but all the men ended up dying. And here's Naomi grieving two daughter-in-laws. The one goes back to her family, which would be typical if a husband passed. But Ruth says to Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Where you live, I'm going to live. Where you worship, I'm going to worship. Where you die, I'm going to die. And Naomi says, all right then, you're my daughter. And she adopts a young lady. We don't know her age. She had no kids and was not married long. She could have been a teenager in that day and age. We don't know for sure. But she comes and lives with Naomi and becomes a part of that family completely. She ends up being in the family line of King David, in the family line of Jesus himself. She was fully adopted in to Naomi's family. So church, adoption is something Scripture has a lot to say about. And there's another person that has a whole book written about her. So I don't know where you are today or what's in your heart on this subject, 
Maybe God has called you to adopt somebody who's got greatness in them but needs you. Because you see, there's no accidents with adoption either. Just like Moses' story, I believe God thought, I got some greatness and I need these people as well to be involved. There's so much greatness in this young person, one parent or two parents aren't going to be enough to make it happen. I need a couple more involved. And he gets them involved. And greatness happens. I want to wrap up today with a couple more verses about another adoption, probably the greatest adoption of all, and that's yours and mine. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. That's a term reserved for close relationship between father and child. Daddy! Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You will inherit everything in the family line. You are legally, you are one of his. He's talking about salvation here. Do you realize that every believer is adopted into God's family? You didn't begin there, so you're adopted. Cool, isn't it? Let me give you another scripture. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us to belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And finally, my last scripture. John 1 verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but he would, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Church, your new birth into the kingdom of God to be part of his family is an adoption. And I'll say it one more time. Adoption is the same as new birth. God has great plans. God wants to bless abundantly his people. When we talk about being part of his family and being adopted, we of course have to look at salvation. Hey, I want to be a part of Christ's family. How does that happen? How do I get adopted? How does my life become new? It's simple, church. He said, if you believe. In other words, if you believe Christ paid that price for you on a cross, you can receive it to yourself simply using words. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple. And so at our church, we give opportunity at most services in case somebody has not yet asked Christ to forgive them and be in their heart. And so we're going to do that this morning right where you're seated. As a group, you can repeat this simple prayer after me if you want. All right? And we're going to believe 
for some new birth right here today. So repeat this prayer after me if you want. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all I've done wrong. Make me new. Change my life. I thank you. I'm part of your family. Amen.